Hey everybody, it's John Pritchard, your host here at Well Disguised. Happy Tuesday, or whatever day it is when you happen to be listening, is going out on a Tuesday. Thank you so much for checking me out. It's been an exciting time for Well Disguised. The last episode, by far the most downloaded, most listened to episode in my history. Of course, I can attribute that to two things. One was my guest, Jeff Edgers, from the Washington Post, and the guy who wrote the book about Aerosmith and Run DMC, and also the fact that several of the rock media outlets picked up on it, including, uh, I believe first and foremost, was Blabbermouth, but also Loudwire and several others. Thank you to everybody who covered it. However, I must confess, that leaves me with something of a dilemma here for my next episode. When I created Well Disguised, and when you create, I guess, any podcast, you have to write a description for it, and One of the things that I came up with was to say that this was the thinking man's podcast about rock and roll, and I realize how arrogant and pretentious that sounds. I mean, who am I? I'm I'm not a brilliant musician. I'm not a brilliant guy. I'm certainly not a brilliant talker. Who do I think I am coming up with something like that? I mean, I wanted to do a podcast for other smart people, and I hope that I'm sort of accomplishing that, but I don't know about the thinking man's podcast. But then I have this by far most successful episode, thousands of listeners. My guest was the national arts reporter for the Washington Post, a graduate of Tufts University. He's the author of this book about this important cultural touchstone in American history, that being the Aerosmith Run DMC collaboration on Walk This Way. Maybe this is really my chance. Maybe I have maybe grown into the opportunity to be that thinking person's podcast that I envisioned when I started all this. So what do I want to talk about today? Buck Cherry, baby! It's hard to believe, but 2021 marks the 20th year anniversary of Chuck Klosterman's legendary book about the hard rock, the glam metal, the heavy metal that he grew up listening to as a kid in North Dakota. I'm talking about Fargo Rock City. My copy of Fargo Rock City on the back says that Rolling Stone called it the, quote, Great Gatsby of heavy metal literature. Now, I've never read Great Gatsby, but I'm assuming that's meant as a compliment. It's certainly one of my favorite books of all time, and if you haven't read it and you're listening to this podcast, go get it. Fargo Rock City has chapters, but they're not numbered the way that chapters normally are. Instead, Klosterman breaks up the book by going chronologically and with dates. In the chapter that is dated September 10th, 1990, and which I think rather hilariously, Klosterman says that date is important because... Warrant releases Cherry Pie in a CD review for my college newspaper. I call this record stellar. It is three years before I am allowed to review another album. Anyway, Klosterman talks about the release of the movie Velvet Goldmine. 
I've never seen Velvet Goldmine. You can look it up on Wikipedia or IMDb just like I did. But basically it's a movie that was about, it's a fictional movie, but it was set in the glam rock days of the early 70s. You know, the days of T-Rex and Bolin and Bowie, that sort of thing. The movie apparently came out in 1998 and Klosterman talks about how he and a lot of other arch reporters at the time were talking about how there seemed to be a bit of a glam rock revival around that time. I don't remember that happening necessarily, but it's not like I was clued in then or now to the hippest of the hip art scene. According to Wikipedia, I think the movie made something like $4.3 million at the box office, so it certainly wasn't a global smash. But if Klosterman says that there was attention, at least in certain quarters, toward glam rock at that time, I'll take his word for it. Anyway, the point of the article, though, or the chapter in his book, was that Klosterman and some others talked about how at the same time that that glam revival was happening, there also seemed to be perhaps a return to the hair metal, glam metal music of the 1980s. Specifically, he talked about how that was also the same time that Marilyn Manson released Mechanical Animals. Of course, that's the disc where Manson left behind the Antichrist superstar bit, or at least for a little while, and fully embraced David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane type era. Anyway, to get to the point, in this chapter of Fargo Rock City, Klosterman reprints an article he wrote when he was at the Akron Beacon Journal in 1998. I just want to read a little bit of it to you. Klosterman wrote, Dennis Dennehy at Geffen Records says the illusion of a glam revival is probably a collision of coincidences. Manson's new look, the release of Velvet Goldmine, and the return of pop metal just happened to have occurred at the same time. Still, Dennehy suspects the spirit of glam rock is making a valid resurgence, even if it's being manifested in a different way. At least he hopes it is. In February, Geffen will push a debut album by the band Buck Cherry a group on the DreamWorks label that Dennehy favorably compares to the New York Dolls. Well, a few things about that. First, I find the New York Dolls to be almost unlistenable. I'm happy, well, whatever. They're nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. They certainly had a big influence by the way they looked, and I guess there's a few hundred people who saw them at Max's Kansas City or CBBG or whatever in New York. And that's fine. That's just the way New York is. But trust me, if the New York Dolls were in fact the Kansas City Dolls or the Tulsa Dolls or the Salt Lake City Dolls, no one would ever, ever care anything about them. And they certainly wouldn't be nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But that's just a reality that the rest of the world has to live with. If it's big in New York, sometimes it has to be big for the rest of us. Or at least seem to be. Also, there wasn't really this late 90s revival of what might be called hair metal. I mean, yeah, Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and the Scorpions and some other bands were able to power through, but it's not like Skid Row was making an assault on the charts or that Cinderella had a a new top 10 hit or something like that. But Buck Cherry's debut, which did not end up coming out in February, it actually was released in early April 1999, That self-titled debut by Buck Cherry absolutely was an attempt not to become the New York Dolls or to be compared favorably to the New York Dolls, but it really was an attempt to grab that old Sunset Strip era sound 
for Buck Cherry to establish themselves as the sons of guns, to turn the clock back 10 years, and be a little more explicit and upfront about it. Whereas metal bands in the past had kind of copped on the old Black Sabbath, Snowblind thing, and made some vague allusions here and there, Buck Cherry's lead debut single, called Lit Up, came out in the course of the song as I love the cocaine, I love the cocaine. No metaphor, no illusions, let's just throw it out there. Buck Cherry was an 80s band for 1999. However, I never found Buck Cherry in 1999, and it's for a really stupid reason, although maybe one that rock and roll fans can appreciate. The reason why I never found or discovered Buck Cherry in 1999 is because I hated their debut album cover. If you haven't seen it, it's got the band's logo and the profile of a woman laying on her abdomen. And she's got, I don't know if it's a its a early 70s, maybe late 60s kind of look with some artwork on her. I don't know if it's supposed to be tattoos or just kind of a hippie vibe kind of thing you might see like in a Quentin Tarantino movie or something. It made Buck Cherry look like just another, quote, modern rock band. And there were a ton of those in the late 90s. Look, Buck Cherry should have had like Pamela Anderson on the cover or somebody like that. Their debut album cover looks like something like if Stone Temple Pilots had had a female on their album cover, this is maybe kind of what they would have had. And I don't dislike Stone Temple Pilots, don't get me wrong. But that album cover is just the complete wrong vibe for what Buck Cherry were about. Now listen, you can hate out on me if you want. And I'm kind of embarrassed to even have this stupid opinion or to have had it back then. But man, that's just part of rock and roll. Part of what we do is to generate strong feelings about something that we maybe have no idea about or haven't ever listened to. Whether that's something you quote like, like the Ramones or Motorhead, or something you hate like Poison or Three Doors Down or, God forbid, Rap. Whatever. That's what we do a lot of times in rock. We just form opinions on stuff that are completely uneducated. And that's exactly what I did. All that said, the debut is not great. It's strong enough to earn some goodwill, some optimism going forward, but it's certainly nothing earth-shattering. The follow-up, the second record, Time Bomb, that's better. At least two-thirds of it's pretty strong, even if you see them at that point really giving in to a rawness, uh, almost a, a vileness, that would become certainly thematic, if not problematic, of their career going forward. And this is probably as good a time as any to say that when I upload this episode, I'm going to, for the first time, throw up that E for explicit language or whatever, and if you've got any children listening, there may be some coming. I've tried on all the other ones never to do that. I hope my parents never, ever listen to this podcast. But if they do, I've kind of taken the approach that I would like to be able to be in the room with mom and dad when they're listening to this. That's going to be hard for an episode on Buck Cherry. That's just, sorry. I mean, this episode's on the album 15. I haven't gotten to it yet, but y'all know what's coming. Mom, Dad, if you're listening, this is the time to cut it off. Because the album Time Bomb contains a song called Porno Star. And the chorus includes, and I'm going to edit this as much as I can, but, you know, the chorus includes the language... Don't you know we F for money? 
I'm a big D-I-C-K mother effing porno star. I mean, that's classy, right? I've heard rock songs about porn stars before, but very rarely has the singer been singing about them in the first person, that I'm the porno star. Lyrics like that are a little hard to take seriously as you get older, right? I have a friend who absolutely loves Motley Crue's album, Dr. Feelgood. I like Dr. Feelgood. I listened to it a lot when I was in high school. But as a mid-40s-year-old man with kids and a wife and everything, it's a little just weird singing along to songs like Sticky Sweet or Rattlesnake Shake or She Goes Down. I mean, come on, I'm an adult now. Have you ever thought of the metaphor behind the song Slice of Your Pie? Whatever, back to Buck Cherry. The title track, Time Bomb, includes in the chorus the line, Life ain't nothing but witches and money. Of course, he didn't say witches, but... I mean, that sounds like a rap lyric, right? Life ain't nothing but witches and money? What other rock stars sing songs like that? But maybe in the Limp Biscuit era, that was normal, I guess. I realize I'm making this sound awful, and I don't mean it. Time Bomb is really pretty good. It's certainly better than the debut, in my opinion, even if maybe the critics disagreed. It's punchier, it's catchier, it's promising that this is a band that's going places. Time Bomb was released in 2001, and the single Riding was almost as good as the cocaine single lit up off the debut. And as I've discussed many times before, you don't really need that many good songs to have a really good album. You can sustain a career off just a few good songs, and Time Bomb certainly had them. But for whatever reason... Buck Cherry couldn't. The band fell apart, member after member leaving. They were mostly stable for those first two records, but by the end of the Time Bomb tour, only singer Josh Todd and guitarist Keith Nelson were still around. Coincidentally or not, probably not, they also happened to be the two guys who founded the band and were the main songwriters. By 2002, the band was on hiatus, if not completely broken up. Now look, they hadn't set the world on fire. I mean, they weren't Coldplay at that point. But they'd been pretty successful to just disband after only two albums. Todd and Nelson kept working, though. They were jamming with Slash, Duff McKagan, and Matt Sorum. Now, they are the people who jammed with Slash, Duff, and Sorum that did not become Velvet Revolver. Slash is somewhat delicate about it in his autobiography, but basically it sounds like He just wasn't feeling Todd's voice. I would concede, as someone who likes Buck Cherry, that there is perhaps something to that. Todd is reminiscent in a way to me of Cinderella's Tom Kiefer, except maybe he's even less expressive than Kiefer. His range is narrow, I would think, and it probably sounds horrible to a lot of people. And if you think so, I I would concede that's a perfectly defensible position. But if you like a little sandpaper with your honey, it's catchy. Now, I concede, and maybe a slash thought, Todd's not as good as Axl Rose, but there is an appealing quality to Todd's voice, and I don't want to say that there isn't. Anyway, so Buck Cherry is a band with a gold record for its debut, a reasonable following, and then they've just fallen apart. They're down to two members. They've lost their record deal. They didn't get to be Velvet Revolver. It seems like there's a good chance everything's over for them at this point. So what did Josh Todd and Keith Nelson do? 
They take some of the songs that Slash and Friends didn't like, they put a new band together, and put every ounce of their talent and ability into a new record. Admittedly, this is a weird place for them. It's a weird place for any rock band. There's not a lot of stories like this. They're a young band who had just been opening for ACDC, and they've had some relatively successful, but minor, I guess, rock hits, but they seem to be on the come up. And now they're, they've been out of the game for several years at this point, and there's a sense of quiet kind of desperation about album number three. Well, album number three, of course, turns out to be called 15, and it's really good. You know how Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Destruction was kind of a mix of two things. It was a mix of classic Aerosmith meets gutter punk. And then for the Use Your Illusion records, they still kept the Aerosmith, they kept the gutter punk, but then they also added some of that Queen slash Elton John kind of pomposity. And I don't mean pompous in a bad way. I mean it in the good way. I mean it in that's, the, that's what Elton John and Queen do. Buckcherry's 15 is kind of like an illusion-era Guns N' Roses record, except Buckcherry is too desperate to risk any of that stuff in a big way. There are some ballads, yeah, but there aren't epics like November Rain. That's not what's on here. The songs aren't huge, sprawling masterpieces in that way. Now, maybe a cynic would say, well, that's because Buckcherry's not as talented as Guns N' Roses. And look, that's probably true. Axel is a genius in his own way, but Buckcherry's 15 is rock and roll. It's a rock and roll record, and you don't have to be a genius to make rock and roll. 15 is what happens when experience meets sweat meets want to, need to, have to. The first track on the album is called So Far. So Far is one of the best ones on the record. You think back to that song Porno Star, and you think about the lyrics from it, And then you listen to the chorus of So Far, which goes, I didn't do it for money. I did it all for free. I did it all to fill the effing hole inside of me. He goes on to say, with the name of the song, So Far It's All Working Out. And then, So Far The Mean Machine Hasn't Got The Best Of Me. That's a real different place for a rock star to be in. That's the sound of a guy who's been away for a few years and has come close to losing everything, but is resolute and is going to give it his all on this record. The second song is called Next to You. It's a little simpler, maybe even a little gentler than your typical Buck Cherry. And by that, I mean that it's about wanting to get close physically in time and space to another person, presumably a woman, I'm sure. But the whole band is on fire on this song. It's probably... like When this song, if you listen to it, when it comes out of the bridge... And Todd's voice, which is already, like I said, it's a little gravelly and high to begin with. But you can hear it crack ever so slightly as the band is ramping up. That moment, that two or three or four seconds, is probably the best Buck Cherry ever gets. It's really a tremendous song. Next to you is really great. The third track is called Out of Line. It's another banger. It's a little slow, I suppose, through some of the verses. But it's still a, a really good rock song. Todd sings, I will sacrifice, I promise I'll behave, I'll keep my head high, I'll keep my foot out of the grave. If that sounds a little like rehab rock, that's okay, it's probably what it is, and it's still fine, it's really good. 
I think people recognize that rehab and new age and finding yourself tall can get a little old sometimes. But from where Buck Cherry was to hearing this record at this point, at least, spoiler, something else is coming. Uh, it's really good. It's really great. I like that song a lot. The next song is called Everything. Uh, it's followed by a song called Carousel. They're both a little ballad-esque. I think everything is neat because when you go back and listen to So Far, Todd kind of answers it in a way. He says in everything, he says, If I had everything, would I still want to be alive or want to be high? Again, that kind of answers back to what we've talked about on So Far when he talks about he doesn't have anything, he would have done it for free, that sort of stuff. It's a little softer, I suppose, but that's okay. A little existentialism looks good on Buck Cherry. The next song is called Sorry. It's out and out a ballad. It was a minor hit at the time. It's apparently written about Josh Todd's wife. It includes a a pretty unfortunate line, in my opinion. Todd sings, I love how you kiss. I love all your sounds. And baby, the way you make my world go round. I love all your sounds. Um, I think maybe you could have workshopped that one a little longer, trying to come up with another rhyme for the word round, world go round. I don't know. Uh, I love all your pounds. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's a weak moment. I'll I, I give you that. Um, but hey, what have I ever written, right? So you've slowed it down here with everything in Carousel, and now definitely with Sorry. You've had a couple pseudo-ballads and an out-and-out ballad. So what's the next track? How do you cleanse your palate of all this romance? Sorry, Mom and Dad, but track seven is Crazy Bitch. The MySpace song of 2006. It's pure fire, it's pure energy, and it's as vulgar as it can be. It's the big hit single for this record. And perhaps that ends up being a problem in the long run. We'll come back to that. Anyway, after Crazy Bitch comes the song Onset. And it's nice. It's got some clever lyrics. And then there's the 10th song called Sunshine. And it's a good tune. It's not great, but it's not filler either. It's just a real solid song. The next song is called Brooklyn. And it's different than anything else Buck Cherry did on this album or maybe they'd ever done. It's got a little country stomp to it, which is weird for a song called Brooklyn and for a band like Buck Cherry, but whatever, right? It's rock and roll. If you want to embrace your southern rock side singing a song about Brooklyn, that's your business, right? The last track on at least the American release without some of the you know, special editions is the song called Broken Glass. It's forgettable. I don't like Broken Glass, but at this point on an album this strong, ending it with Broken Glass is no sin. Obviously, I have cheerleaded most of this record. 15 is really outstanding. If you've never heard it before, I hope you'll go listen to it. But Buck Cherry was never this good again. 15 went platinum, but it was Crazy Bitch that really flirted with the mainstream. And Buck Cherry seemed to take the wrong lessons from that. At least that's my opinion. You're certainly welcome to have your own opinion. Maybe you like a little Two Life Crew in your guitar music. But I think it's hard to deny that that over-the-top vulgarity became Buck Cherry's calling card going forward. That probably peaked in 2014 when they released an EP called, well, called The F Word. I mean, that's the name of it. And there's six songs on the 
EP, and all of them have the F word in it. I mean, let me read the track listing to you. Slightly edited, of course. Track one, somebody effed with me. Track two, say F it. Three, the mother effer. Four, I don't give a F. Five, it's a effing disaster. And six, fist F. If you bought that record at Best Buy, the seventh track was special edition was a cover of Aerosmith's Mama Ken. Um, of course, Mama Ken was also famously covered by Guns N' Roses on Live Like a Suicide, which was part of the GNR Lies package. And maybe that ties in a little bit closer to what Buck Cherry is about or certainly could be about. Anyway, it's all juvenile and it's kind of a shame, I think. The success of Crazy Bitch notwithstanding, I think 15 shows what kind of band Buck Cherry really could be. There's brains to it, but there's a rawness too. There's not meaningless go-nowhere guitar noodling solos. Nelson and his bandmates play with a lot of spit and fire, but it's still in that blues melded with punk energy that is so good and is what made Guns N' Roses so big. Maybe worse, though, is that after 15, Buck Cherry seemed like a band that was trying to protect something. They were a brand now, and part of that was being vulgar, but they just weren't desperate anymore. There were more member changes. Even Nelson is out of the band now. It's just Todd from the originals. I would certainly listen to arguments that the fire is still there in Buck Cherry, but it does feel like the heat is gone. Still, 15 is kind of a slut rock masterpiece. It is absolutely the best album of 1990. It just came out a little late. Thank you again for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. If you go on the internet and read about how to do a podcast or how to market a podcast, one of the things that people will tell you is you can read the reviews that you get, that fan interaction type kind of thing. So I have said I'm going to do that, and now I find it completely embarrassing, but I said I was going to do it. I've gotten three since I did the last one. I just want to say that on January 22nd, Swiznami, I know who that is, uh, said, uh, I suppose if I had a complaint, it would be, man, I wish I had thought of that point. This is a very well done and well thought out show. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. The next person, Waiting47, says, uh, said on January 25th, the breadth of John's music knowledge and his storytelling ability are second to none, not to mention he does it all in a genteel accent. He got, he's obviously read and listened to so much about the topics. I learned something new every episode. John is a smart take based on research, not just opining. It's inspired me to check out a bunch of great new music, too. If you like rock music, definitely subscribe. I may know who that is. Thank you again. And finally, January Girl 113. I've been thoroughly impressed by each episode of Well Disguised. John clearly knows the genre, and I honestly learn something new each time I listen to an episode. Plus, he comes across so sincerely. It really shows that he has a love for what he is doing. He has a great voice as well. I truly look forward to each episode. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. That does mean a lot. Um, so now that I've done that and that episode in embarrassment, uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about, I've still got ideas. I've still got things I want to do. The dream is to get Mick Jagger on the show. That's going to take a while, probably. And you're going to need to share it with your friends and your enemies and everybody else for that to happen. So if you've got some things you want to talk about, or maybe you want to come on, maybe you've got opinions you want to share or... You've got a you've got a band or something you want to talk to. Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm on 
the web at well, welldisguised.com. Welldisguised at outlook.com is my uh, email address for the show. I'm on Twitter at well underscore disguised. Happy to hear from you. Happy to bat around ideas. So anyway, if you've got something you want to hear, something you want to talk about, let me know. In the meantime, uh, if you haven't heard that new The Pretty Reckless album, oh my gosh, it's really good. I may do something with that. I haven't listened to the whole Foo Fighters record yet because I've just kind of been digging on the new Pretty Reckless album. So anyway, also new Alice Cooper music coming this week. Yay. But that's enough for me. I want to respect your time. Thanks again for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, ring the bell. I think that's a YouTube thing, but whatever all that stuff you're supposed to do. Take care of each other. Be safe. Bye.